0: Hi everybody, thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I am a yoga teacher with many years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to show you how to get confident, speak clearly, feel authentic, grow your impact, earn your worth, and build a community. For years I've been working with teachers in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and I've seen so many teachers transform and I can help you get there too. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to also follow me on Instagram and TikTok, For daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 215. So I'm recording this On a Sunday, which I very rarely do. It's Sunday, November 27th, 2022. It's the Sunday after the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. And given the fact that I was away, if you were watching my stories, you saw that I was away in St. Martin from last Saturday to yesterday I didn't have an opportunity to record on my typical Thursday. So I'm recording today on Sunday, and this will go live tomorrow, the 28th of November, 2022. So if you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you were watching my stories, as I said, on Instagram, you probably saw some of the pictures of um, the trip I took to St. Martin. I've been there before. My boyfriend's family has had a house there for many, many years. That's where his parents... Go during the winter here in the cold months of New England of the Boston area, and um, his mom died back in 2019, and his father um, uh, still has the house. So we go down at least once a year. If any of if you're listening and you have my either of my books, uh, stretched or structure and spirit both covers of both of those books, the pictures were taken in St. Martin because there's just so many wonderful places to take pictures uh, by their house. So yeah, so we had a great time. It was the first time I ever traveled for a holiday, like a big holiday, I mean, around here in the States, um, Thanksgiving or Christmas, which was a little weird. Um, I sort of missed kind of the traditional Thanksgiving get together, which I don't typically do with my family in New Jersey because I don't typically travel for that. But usually we do it with Ben's family and extended family here. Um, however, it was really, really nice to be, of course, in warm weather and, um, you know, to just go go there and just be there. And I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, we were traveling with a group of people and I had a lot of fun teaching yoga. I had an opportunity several times to teach both, um, you know, typical classes to the folks we were traveling with, as well as I did a yoga nidra session, I did um, a restorative hip opening session, and it was really uh, cool to see their reactions. A lot of them don't, actually, none of them really practiced yoga a lot or practice yoga regularly but they're all athletic so it was really really fun to just spontaneously share yoga and i would encourage you i know if if you're listening um and you are teaching uh, privates or group privates which is basically what i did here on this trip it, it's just a really rewarding experience um somewhat different from teaching group classes i mean you can really just have a conversation with the people in your group private because it's just a lot more laid back. It's obviously hard in group classes and studios to get into conversation with the students, but when you're teaching a private student one-on-one or you're teaching a student a group of students in a group private, you can really just get conversation going. I mean, obviously, if you're doing restorative, uh, like yoga nidra type stuff, they're not talking. However, if you're teaching a restorative class or just a traditional flow, I love to encourage questions from them, and um, I got questions, and it's just nice to have some back and forth, a little bit of a different vibe than when you teach group classes in a studio or any other place. So having said that, I got back yesterday, and one of the things I did on my uh, week off is I literally consumed from cover to cover a book. And it was a book that I'd had on my wish list on Amazon for a while, uh, probably not too, too long. I don't actually remember who recommended it to me, but um, it was on my Amazon wish list. And about a week before I left for my trip, I went onto my Amazon wish list and I ordered two books. One is called Why We Sleep by one of the very well known preeminent authorities, experts on sleeping and brain. Um, brain activity. He's a neuroscientist. You can read all about him. Matthew Walker is his name. He had um, two really good podcast episodes, both on two of my favorite shows, the Rich Roll podcast and the Huberman Lab podcast. You can just Google for Matthew Walker on both of those shows and listen to those episodes, especially if you have a hard time sleeping, or if you're just curious about how the body restores during sleep, if you're curious about dreaming, if you're curious about, I learned so much in listening to those two episodes about kind of the history of sleep. And so that inspired me to buy that book. So I bought that book, brought it on vacation. The other book that I, that I bought is called You Are a Badass. And I remember this book got a lot of press. It was on the New York Times bestseller list by Jen Cicero, S-I-N-C-E-R-O. And I didn't get to the Matthew Walker book because I literally consumed You Are a Badass from the minute I left and was sitting at the gate waiting to take off to the minute I landed. Like I literally finished it about 20 minutes before we landed and it has small print. So I read read a lot Um, and it's just so good. And as I was reading it, there were so many um, things I was writing in the margin. good for yoga teachers, share with yoga teachers. And, you know, part of me wanted to do a little book club, an impromptu book club on Zoom, which I can still do, uh, could still do. But I'm so psyched to share some of the things that I highlighted for you that I wanted to come home and do a podcast episode about it before the week even begins. So what I'm going to share with you today are several themes from this book, You Are a Badass. And of course, know that Jen did not write this book for yoga teachers. It's more of an overall book around how you can move past your self-limiting beliefs to be the person you wanna be, to live the life you want to live, to have the things you wanna have, to drop your fears, to drop your hesitations, to moving through life in a way that fulfills you beyond your wildest dreams. And she is someone who I didn't know anything about her until I started reading the book. She is someone who is very well-versed in the self, self-help self arena and has read hundreds of books and at the same time was not living the life she wanted to live. And it really took kind of pulling all of this together and having several epiphanies throughout her life where she really found her groove and then began to like live this life, exceeding her wildest dreams, both from the perspective of what she was doing, the money she was earning, what she was doing for work, how she was helping people, how she was living her Dharma, the money she was bringing in as a result of being in true alignment with her true mission in the world. And then the things she was able to do, because now she had more resources available to her, namely money. And so she started to just shift in these massive, massive ways. So this book is written in, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Eat, Pray, Love and a little bit, um, which is Elizabeth Gilbert, right? And also, um, oh goodness, there was another book I was just thinking of, but it's, oh, Diary of Bridget Jones. Remember that movie with Renee Zellweger? It's kind of got that sort of tongue in cheek humor and sarcasm throughout it. And I sense that's just part of, of her style, but she kept that in the writing style. So it really is um, funny at times and she's really down to earth. I really think you'll love this book. And like I said, she didn't necessarily write this for yoga teachers. However, so much of what she brings up is so relevant to us as yoga teachers, as a group of people who have chosen a path, whether it's full-time or part-time to teach yoga. And there's so much in teaching yoga that we face about ourselves because it is one of those activities where you are showing yourself as a person to others and you're doing it in a way where you're guiding them through a practice. And when you do it in a way that, in, that when you do it in a way that allows you to share from the heart in an authentic way it's a magical experience, not just for you, but for your students. And I say that I'm speaking from experience. And I'm sure that as you're listening, if you've had those moments, in your teaching, where you know that you're stepping out on a limb, where you're sharing in an authentic way to you, even though it feels scary. And then you see the reaction in your students, even if they're not saying anything, even if it's just that your cues are obviously landing well on them because they're moving in synchronicity to their breath and to the cues that you're sharing. Um, Just a lot of different energetic ways, but also just visual ways that you know you're making a connection. That is magical. So I want to just dive right in and just share some of these things. And I'll give you a little bit of my interpretation of why I selected these themes as I go through each one as something that's relevant for yoga teachers. So the first one has to do with this idea of not worrying what other people think of you. And I wanted to focus on this and a couple of the things that I address in this book with you or that I share with you from this book are going to address this idea of imposter syndrome. I don't actually know, and I don't think any of us knows who came up with this phrase imposter syndrome, but I sort of wish yoga teachers would never use it because it doesn't really tell us what the problem is. And I I feel like there are just so many people using the term that it becomes this overall basket terminology that teachers use when something is not right, when they feel like something's off, and they're not really sure how to describe it. So they just latch on to this popular phrase that people are using. And it really short changes you because if we're using a basket phrase that everybody's using, because we're getting sucked into the negativity and just being in that place of I'm lost, I'm overwhelmed. I can't make changes, I'm frustrated, whatever it is. And then we label it as imposter syndrome. It really short changes us because we're not being specific about what really is the problem so that we can then figure out how to solve it. So I would really encourage you if you've ever used the phrase imposter syndrome to de- describe yourself, please stop doing that. Stop doing that. Just promise yourself, you're never going to use that phrase again and start being a leader around other teachers. When you hear them say that phrase, say back to them, can you tell me a little bit more about why you're calling yourself that? What is it that is frustrating you? If you feel comfortable sharing, asking that question of the teacher. I've started calling it out when I go into Facebook groups and I see teachers describe themselves in that way, or when, of course, I'm coaching teachers in my program. And I don't do it in a mean way. I do it in a way to kind of almost shake them by the shoulders and say, look, first of all, love yourself, right? Don't use a phrase to describe yourself that completely puts you at a position where you're not at cause. You're completely being the victim. Secondly, use something that's more descriptive. Don't just pick up on some phrase. Who even knows who came up with this stupid phrase? Who even knows who came up with it? I mean, was it a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a trained therapist, or was it just somebody out there? I don't know, maybe I could Google for the answer. The bottom line, I don't really care who came up with it. It's completely disempowering and it does you no good. It doesn't serve you in any way to describe yourself as having imposter syndrome. What's more empowering is to say something like, I'm having some challenges around blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, maybe something along the lines of it makes it's it's causing me to feel uncomfortable when I teach. Because when I think about imposter syndrome, what that really says to me is that a teacher feels like they're pretending to be someone else. And that is a common experience for teachers because the industry doesn't do a great job in training teachers how to show themselves. The industry does a good job. Trainings do a good job, depending on which training you go to, in teaching you how to repeat stuff. That's not showing you how to show up as you and lean on the verbiage you got as in your training. In that latter scenario, you wouldn't have imposter syndrome because you would be empowered to show up as yourself. And sure, maybe you have some cues that you picked up from your training, but you're not just standing there like a parrot and just repeating it. So that to me is a more descriptive way to outline what potentially imposter syndrome is. I don't know if you, as you're listening to me here, if you have imposter syndrome, if you've ever felt like you do. Just Let me know in the DMs on Instagram if any of this is resonating with you and how it does show up for you. Educate me. So having said that, this is about that. And this is why I highlighted this particular passage in the book. She says, this brings up something that's so important to have a firm grasp on if you're going to get anywhere near reaching your full potential in life. It is the following, do not waste your precious time giving one single crap about what anybody else thinks of you. And she wrote this in all caps. Do not waste your precious time giving one single crap about what anybody else thinks of you. Imagine how liberating that would be. Other people's opinions motivate every move we make in our teens and our 20s, and as we age, if we're moving in the right direction, our obsession with how we're perceived by others begins to trickle away, but very few of us are able to escape its pointless grasp completely. Meanwhile, the truth is, the only questions you ever need to consider when making decisions about your life are, one, is this something I want to be, do, or have? Two, is this going to take me in the direction I want to go? Three, is this going to screw over anybody else in the process? So again, she's talking about this in the context of living life. So those latter things are more applicable to life living in general. But the point I want you to take away from is as a yoga teacher, do not waste your precious time giving one single crap about what anybody else thinks of you go in and teach, done, go in again, teach again, done, go in again, teach again, done. Don't give a crap about what anybody else thinks of you. Enough, enough said. Okay. So the next one is related to the one I just covered and it is the following. Let me just peel back here. What other people think about you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. What other people think of you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. She goes on to say, the trick is to not only deny the criticism any power over you, but even more challenging to not get caught up in the praise. There's nothing wrong with blushingly accepting a compliment, but if you find yourself always seeking outside approval that you're good enough or cool enough or talented enough or worthy enough, you are screwed. Because if you base your self-worth on what everyone else thinks of you, you hand all your power over to other people and become dependent on a source outside of you for validation. Then you wind up chasing after something you have no control over, And should that something suddenly place its focus somewhere else or change its mind and decide you're no longer very interesting, you end up with a full-blown identity crisis. So again, a little bit more going into the life living thing. But the piece of this that's so relevant to us us as teachers is, number one, we're going to get feedback all the time about our classes. We're either going to hear it directly from our students or they're going to email to the studio, especially if they're complainers and they like to complain that the class didn't, quote, meet their needs. You're going to then get it from the studio owner. Maybe you're going to get feedback from the studio owner about how you're teaching, about your class numbers, about I took your class and here's my feedback, any of that. And so as yoga teachers, we are constantly receiving feedback. Sometimes you even receive feedback because there's not a lot of people in your class or there is a lot of people in your class or people leave your class and they say, I loved your class or people post on Facebook how much they love your class or the person that owns the studio says how much he or she or they love your class, whatever it is. We live in a feedback oriented world for the good or for the bad and I mean, there are whole platforms dedicated to feedback, right? There's Yelp and then all the other social media platforms. So again, related to the one I just went over, what other people think about you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. Do you think when someone comes to your class and they moan and groan about how you taught, do you think that has anything to do with you? No, no. It really has to do with them, how they perceived your class, how they showed up to your class, what their expectations were about your class. All of that has to do with them. And so if you as a yoga teacher experience feedback that you interpret as not being positive, consider that it might not have anything to do with you. It might have everything to do with the person. And this also relates to when you receive feedback to, when you receive feedback about your teaching from someone that you report to a studio owner, a a mentor, a senior teacher, and I say report to in a corporate speak sort of way, I think you get what I'm saying. When you receive feedback like that, I know this can be soul crushing for teachers. I know that, when they receive, because I've seen these posts on Facebook, I hear this from teachers I work with in my program, this dynamic of, I got a bad review, I had somebody take my class who's more senior than me, and they didn't like the class, or they gave me feedback on this, that, or the other thing I need to change. There's a, gr- there's a fine line here, because as much as you want to consider, or I suggest you consider the same thing. That it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. There's the reality that if you are in some kind of employment relationship with them, you sort of have to take their feedback to heart if you want to stay teaching in that place or stay employed by them. So I'm not saying totally throw that out the window. What I'm saying is that even in those situations, consider that some of it has to do with them because again perception is a big part of being on the receiving end of being in a yoga class it's not like we're saying we're working in a we're doing something that is skill-based where we're making a widget and we're either making the widget right or making the widget wrong Teaching yoga is never, ever like that. So there is always room for interpretation. And I want to also point out that this also applies when you receive positive feedback. If I go to take a yoga class and I'm in a great mood, that class is going to be great because I am just loving life. I'm totally present. If I go to a yoga class and I'm in a really crappy mood, I'm probably going to hate that class, you know, or some variation of that. So again, keep in mind, that's maybe not the best metaphor. The point is though, that whole loop of I get good feedback from my students and they stay after class and they, I don't know, whatever other way they give you positive feedback and then that becomes something that you start to feel um, dependent upon. So again, keep in mind, even in the case of receiving positive feedback, it might not have a lot to do with you. Now, yes, of course, feel good about it, feel warm about it, love that people are loving your classes, love that they're giving you that feedback. Just don't let it go to your head and get to be something that you are dependent upon. All right, so that's that one. The next one is, again, somewhat related. So this is in um, a particular chapter. And I, oh well, Anyway, this is in a particular chapter. Um, about kind of not being so attached. And so she go, She writes here, all you have to do is make the choice to let go of everything you're so attached to that's not serving you and manifest the reality that you want. Life is an illusion created by your perception and it can be changed the moment you choose to change it. And this is the part I highlighted for you. Our entire experience on this planet is determined by how we choose to perceive our reality. And, you know, I know when I work with teachers in my program, I know when their perception of their teaching reality is negative because of everything they say. It's like, I can't do anything right. I'm really struggling, like all of the negative verbiage. So keep in mind your experience as a teacher is determined by how you perceive what you're doing so if you perceive your role as a teacher in a negative way you'll experience it as all of these heavy words i'm not teaching well i'm struggling i'm lost i mean all this stuff i see in face on facebook all the time in these yoga teacher groups all of this kind of verbiage so why not why not change how you choose to perceive your reality, even if you are a new teacher, you can choose to see your role as a new teacher, as one of, I'm new, everything is exciting. I love connecting with my students. I love being able to show up. All of these ways of perceiving your reality, instead of, I'm new, I don't know anything, I don't have an experience, can shift the way you perceive the world. And the way you perceive your role in the world as a teacher, your role in your community, in your studio, in that gym, in that private session, whatever it is. And that way of thinking and being will empower you as a teacher and allow you to just drop all of this negative self-talk and way of seeing the world and all of those feelings that cause this sense of struggling. So that's that one. All right. So next one, this is a big, big one. I remember when, um, I was at a particular fork in the road as a teacher, where I really was thinking of just going back to my corporate life corporate job and the whole nine yards. And it was really because I had this huge hangup about a number of people that I had started out as a teacher with. We all kind of started around the same time, many, many years ago with the same teacher. And some of these teachers had moved on and ended up on the cover of yoga journal or wrote books or did all these fabulous things. And I was really jealous. I was jealous of the opportunities they had. I was feeling like, shunned that I wasn't getting these opportunities. And I had a lot of stories around why they were getting these opportunities and not me. And I told these stories with conviction to my parents and to my boyfriend and Ben heard dozens of them. Over the years, my parents certainly heard them. And all they did was just kind of nod their head in pseudo-agreement. Or if I was talking to my parents on the phone, of course, they would say, Oh, I can I can totally see what you're saying. It really, you know, it, I could see you'd be upset that you're not on the cover of Yoga Journal or whatever my complaint was. And I was really attached to these stories. And it took, and I've mentioned this many times on past in past episodes, it took me going to a neuroscience coach, um, a a coach who had a specialty in neuroscience, neuro-linguistic programming. And um, she called me out on it right away. And I had gone to her specifically to help me with a job search. Like how was I going to leave my yoga teaching uh, career path to get back on track with getting into the corporate world. And what it ended up being these sessions I had with her was really a kind of a coaching process to allow me to see how all these stories were really blocking me from being a successful yoga teacher. And I say successful in the way of, um, A teacher who was feeling empowered, who was feeling at cause, who was feeling like I had agency over what I was doing, who was feeling like I was making a difference, who was making money, who was building a sustainable business rather than the way I was feeling, which was negative and all these stories and and that kind of thing. And in the course of my work with her, I ended up dropping my idea to go back to the corporate world and instead dropped all these stories because I saw them for what they were, and really revamped my energy and my enthusiasm to continue on the path I was on, but in a very different way. And so with that prelude, this is the part of the book that hit me really deeply. And it's called get rid of your stories. And she says, Jen writes here, once you know what the beast looks like, you can slay it, take your list of cans, she had us in an earlier part of this chapter, write out All these things we think we can't do, all these things we think we should do, and all these things we think that we never can do. And think about yourself as a teacher. Do you ever say, I could never teach a class of a hundred people, or I could never run my own retreat, or I can't use anatomy-based cues, or, or I can't learn anatomy, all that kind of stuff. She says, take your list of cants and shoulds and I nevers, Um, and write a stream of consciousness in a journal and really feel in your body what you're getting from these old limiting beliefs, such as, and she says here, I feel special, I feel safe, I get to live with my parents and never get a job. Make a list of these false rewards because there's always a reward that we are getting from spouting off these stories all the time. And that's part of our... Our challenge to find out what is the reward we're getting for hanging on to these stories. For me, the reward I was getting is as long as I could continue to point at all these other people and say, well, they're getting that opportunity because they have this shoe in with this person or they know that person. All that was allowing me to do is avoid taking the chance myself. I'm going after what I wanted to go after myself. Because I could just basically sit back and point fingers at everybody else and basically say, well, the only reason they're successful is because they have all these ins with all these important people in the yoga industry and I don't have those so I can't get where I want to go, which is total baloney. So look closely. And listen closely to the stories that you verbally tell other people as it relates to your yoga teaching, stories around things like why your classes aren't as full as you think they should be, or why you don't feel like you can stop practicing with your class or whatever it is, put it out there and start to listen for when you use stories as an excuse and think about what are you getting out of that? What do you get out of continuing to tell that story? What are you avoiding doing because you are telling that story? And she says, now look at your list of false rewards for what they really are, scared little parts of you acting out. Thank them for trying to protect you and for keeping you company, but tell them it's time to run along now. Then replace the feelings you got from those false rewards with the feelings of joy and power and excitement that stepping into who you truly are and who you've now become will bring. This is so applicable to yoga teachers. Instead of saying, I can't learn anatomy, instead of saying, oh, I'm in yoga teacher training, but I'm so tired. It's so hard to fit it in with everything else going on in my life you signed up for it maybe not you as you're listening here but maybe you've heard that maybe you said that maybe when you were in yoga teacher training you complained about how difficult you thought it was to do this teacher training in the midst of everything else that you normally do because it's maybe a training that's you know interspersed with your life because it's set up for people who don't want to go away and do 2 weeks of training all in one fell swoop so whatever it is look for those words and phrases that you use and replace them, replace them with positive phrasing that puts you in the driver's seat. Okay. So that's that one. All right. Next one. Uh, Okay. So this is just related to that. So here's a little exercise you can do in regards to your stories. Number one, list off your old stories that you got into the habit of thinking and saying as it relates to you as a yoga teacher. Number two, journal about the false rewards you get from them. Number three, feel into these false rewards, thank them for their help, and decide to let them go. Number four, take each false reward and write a new powerful story to replace it with. And then number five, repeat this new story or affirmation over and over until it becomes your truth. Oh my goodness gracious. Repeat this new story or affirmation over and over again until it becomes your truth. I can stand up in front of my class and teach them by looking at them and not practicing with them. I can use my own words when I'm cueing rather than hijacking cues from people I heard Um, cueing in yoga classes as I watch them on YouTube. I can um, answer a student question confidently and and, um, I don't know, follow up with that student in a future class with additional information after I go home and research a little bit more about it. I can show up fully and let people see me in my classes, even though it makes my stomach do flips and make me, makes me feel like I want to run out of the room. I can, you know, whatever these stories are, whatever these excuses are that you tell yourself, I can start that program of running a group for women in their fifties out of my house. Like all of these things, start telling yourself positive stories instead. All right. So the next one is, um, this also relates to the imposter syndrome that I was talking about before. And she says, let me just pull this post-it note back. Um, She says, because so often when we say we're unqualified for something, what we're really saying is that we're too scared to try it, not that we can't do it. Most of the time, it's not lack of experience that's holding us back, but rather the lack of determination to do what we need to do to be successful. So this really applies to you if you're a new yoga teacher. How many times, and especially if you're listening and you're a new yoga teacher, have you said, well, I'd love to start that program, or I'd love to offer that type of class, or I'd love to go on that, start that, uh, create that retreat, but I'm too new and I'm not ready. So this applies to you because here it says, most of the time, it's not lack of experience that's holding us back, but rather the lack of determination to do what we need to do to be successful. All of those things are excuses. You don't think there aren't brand new yoga teachers who start retreats. You don't think there aren't brand new yoga teachers who start programs of a specialty nature. Of course there are. And what's required in those situations because you don't have experience is exactly what Jen says here. Rather, the lack of determination to do what we need to do. Don't be that yoga teacher who has a lack of determination. Do what you need to do so that you can be successful in doing the thing you want to do that you're not doing because you're using the excuse that you're too new, right? Do you see how that's like a whole loop there? So All it requires is that you just make the list of what you need to do and you just fucking do it. You go down the list and you do the things on the list, right? I mean, this is essentially what manifesting is. It's making a list of what you need to do to get the thing that you want in your life and then just fucking doing it. Just doing it. Even though you're scared, even though you're not sure how it's going to turn out, even though you don't know ultimately if it's going to get you the thing you want, doing it, doing the things is so much better than not doing the thing and telling the story. I mean, honestly, I could, I could talk about this stuff all day. Okay. So the next thing is about time and our relationship with time. And if you, like me, have ever said, I don't have enough time, there's not enough time for me to enroll in that program, I don't have the time to do the things I want to do, all of that. I talked about time in relationship to complaints I hear from teachers when they enroll in teacher trainings. This is about that. She says, um, the, the title of this chapter I just love, it's the drama of overwhelm, right? Overwhelm as a word, please don't ever say that. Please don't ever say I am overwhelmed. I mean, honest to God, unless of course, right, there's a death in the family, something sudden has happened to your, like, yes, those are situations where, of course, you're overwhelmed. You didn't expect, God forbid, that person to get sick and pass on or you to have a bad test, a negative test result or a test result. I don't even want to say that. Just a test result that concerns you. Like, yeah, those are situations where it's understandable to be overwhelmed. But please, as a yoga teacher, for the love of God, don't ever say that you're overwhelmed. Even if that's what you feel, there are other ways that you can say that that don't continue to lump on to the rocks you already have in your backpack. I've used that metaphor before. If you're feeling overwhelmed, that's the same thing as teacher imposter syndrome. What does that really mean? What is the situation that's causing you to feel this way? Why are you allowing yourself to feel this way? What can you do to stop feeling this way? What can you do to be more empowered rather than saying I'm overwhelmed? And just from a languaging perspective, saying I'm overwhelmed just makes the feeling worse because now you're labeling it and you're attaching it to you. I am overwhelmed. No, no you are not overwhelmed that's not your identity but it is if you allow it to be so that's that's that so she says here again in terms of so that's the title of the of the chapter the drama of overwhelm and one of the things that she writes about in this chapter is this idea of there's not enough time she says, thanks to the hard work of people with big brains, we now know that time is an illusion. While most people have no idea what the hell that means, there is another angle that's a lot easier to grasp, not having that a lot easier to grasp. Not having time is an illusion. For example, I don't have time to find a real parking spot, so I'll park on um, uh, in this loading dock space. Oh, look at that. I just spent three hours I don't have getting my car out of the garage, the tow garage. Another two, getting lost on the way home and 45 minutes complaining about it to my partner. Another one. I don't have time to clean my office. Oh, look at that. I just spent half an hour that I don't have looking for my phone that was buried beneath a pile of crap, blah, blah, blah. When we're forced to do something, she writes, suddenly the time is there, which means it's there all the time. But we've just chosen to limit ourselves by believing that it isn't ever notice how if you've got six months to do something, it'll take you six months to do it. But if you have a week, it'll take you a week. Once you understand that time, like the rest of your reality is in your mind, you can make it work for you instead of being its slave. Oh my God. So good. So good. Jen Cicero or Cicero, not sure how to pronounce her last name. So again, just like imposter syndrome, please, please, I beg you stop saying you don't have time. Stop saying it in regards to studying for anything you're studying for around yoga teaching, around your schedule, around whatever it is, around your life. Like, let's all agree we're never going to use that term again. And then the last thing, the last thing is just a really, really great quote from actress Audrey Hepburn. She says, nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. I never knew that. I'm possible. I am. I apostrophe M is I'm. I'm possible, right? Nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. So if you're sitting out there listening to this episode and you're thinking, it's impossible for me to learn anatomy. It's impossible for me to confidently teach and allow myself to be seen. It's impossible for me to create a sequence in, you know, 10 minutes flat or spontaneously show up and just teach from what's in my head. It's impossible for me to start that wellness clinic or to create that group for women over 50 or whatever it is, anything is possible. And it just starts with you believing it And then making the damn list and doing the things and getting it done. And that's it. It's really as simple as that. And at the same time, it can be really freaking hard because there's all of these other things that as adults, we put up as roadblocks. And that's why in this episode, I hope that I've knocked down some of those fears and perceptions and ways of being to allow you to begin to show up as fully and freely and joyfully as a yoga teacher as you can be. So with that, I would love, love, love to know what you thought of this episode. And I would love to know if you, especially in regards to cueing, if you are someone who is looking for ways to confidently share anatomy in your cues? Are you looking for ways to confidently share anatomy in your cues? Because if you are, I'm looking for five yoga teachers who are interested in learning how to share anatomy-based cues in 30 days, in 30 days. So if that's you, if you're interested in looking for ways to share anatomy in your cues, in a 30 day timeframe, 30 days to get that done. Send me a DM and let me know you heard on this episode, this opportunity for five yoga teachers to learn anatomy-based cueing in 30 days. And you want in, send that in a DM to me and I will show you how you can do it, how you can get it on this. All right, so with that, I'm at the end of this episode. I wanna thank you so, so much for listening and I will catch you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Hi there, thank you so much for listening to this latest episode and thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com and you'll see the listing in the drop-down for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page and it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour or 45 minutes that you wanna to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. and. All of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.